Welcome to the Seven Things EMS Podcast, a continuing education offering of Limmer Education. Seven Things EMS Podcast is designed to give you what you need to succeed in EMS. It's conversational, informational, and without the fluff. Our Seven Things podcast now brings us a special guest, Jay Scott, the executive director of CAPSI. A lot of people know CAPSI by the continuing education and uh, getting their state or their national registry uh, recertification done. But today we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive in this. We're going to talk a little bit about CE uh, and the man behind the CE. I'm Dan Limmer from Limmer Education. We're just incredibly fortunate to be here today with Jay Scott. Jay Scott is, as I said, uh, the executive director of CAPSI, formerly uh, C-SPEAMS, a board member there and the most common face that we know with that, but comes from an EMS background, including even uh, New York State around Syracuse. So we're not that far uh, from our old stomping grounds. And welcome, Jay. Dan, thank you for having me so much. I'm honored to be here tonight. Well, great to have you. And I think our, our motto is to get right into the seven things. What I like about your, your seven things, Jay, is that you have a great cadence here. Talk a little bit about CE. And also, I like the fact you talk about some of the vision for CE. I think, uh, I think people would like to know some of those things. So let's just get started. Number one, don't be fooled by CE that lets you skip the content and go right to the test. You're not really getting anything for your investment of money or time. Jay, I got to tell you, there's people that love to complain that their CE has got no content and it's boring, and they love to complain that it's too hard and too much work, right? Tell me about that. Tell me what you would envision CE uh, to be, not going directly to the test. Well, I think that, um, you know, there are some really, really good uh, online and face-to-face continuing education programs that are out there, but specifically the online stuff where I do a self-study program. And if I, you know, pay a subscription fee and I log in and, and I have the opportunity to go directly to the test and skip the educational component, I'm, I'm really not helping myself much. You know, I think that um, people that provide educational content uh, in an online format spend an awful lot of time and money developing their content. Uh, and most of it is excellent. And I've never understood why somebody that spends that much time and investment in providing an educational um, activity would allow the user to skip that activity and go directly to the post-test and get a certificate, never having interacted with the activity at all. I, you know, um, like I said, uh, it is a little bit of a love-hate thing. I think it's interesting that you said that there's a lot of quality CE out there. You know, and I think people get in, they take their initial class, they get out there. I think we go through phases. We, we, I think we go out thinking we know everything. And sometimes we get shocked into learning what we don't know. And then we hit the long haul. And I think the people that, that survive in EMS, the people that go out and do really good care are the ones that take learning seriously, that understand that you don't know everything and that's always important to do more. I, I agree. And I think the technology is at a point now that allows us to a lot of very creative things with continuing education that, you know, the start of it was go online, read an article, take a test. And that was long before we had any real, real technological advances on the internet. And honestly, you know, reading an article and taking a test is pretty boring stuff. And that, 
in and itself, the market has kind of phased it out. People don't gravitate towards that kind of continuing education. They want the interactive stuff. They like the video-based case studies, and they like to, you know, be able to do something with the content, not just listen to, um, you know, uh, the same old thing they've heard a dozen times, the same old blood bloodborne pathogens lecture, and they don't certainly don't want to just read something and then have to take a quiz. Those kinds of things you can tell are just not popular. Well, I think EMS people are action-oriented. They're people people. We don't always, I don't want to put everybody and paint them in a broad stroke, always have the longest attention spans. I know I can speak for myself uh, in that. And we are a little driven by excitement. So I think it's pretty normal that people uh, really do uh, want to have CE that is, uh, that is engaging. Um, I think we're trying to get above that lowest common denominator of training, like the articles. I mean, it's really come a long way. Even the different levels of CE that we have from in-person to distributed to VILT uh, to the new uh, technology uh, categories, you know, CE, I think, has progressed. And actually, we have a section a little bit on technology a little bit later. But it's, it's exciting stuff. And I think COVID has really put us in a spot where we recognize that there's not only an ability to offer good stuff online, sometimes we have a need. Yeah, and it has to be portable as well. I mean, I have to be able to do my CE while I'm on a shift. I know a lot of people that work a, a full-time job, you know, four 12-hour days on, and on their four on their four days off, they tend to work a second job just to make ends meet. And asking that person to stay after for a lecture or, you know, attend a mandatory training session, sometimes it's just very difficult because, A, they don't have the time and they'd like to spend it with their family. So if we can do training in some kind of portable format that's techno that's 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 driven by technology that they can do while they work on their shift, I think that uh, is more attractive to people than spending time in their in their off time having to go through their mandated CE hours. We certainly are a mobile society. We go out and about and the number of people with uh, pods and different things in their ears uh, and uh, listening to things uh, certainly is the norm. Well, if we were to take this, I think we, and this is what I liked about your seven things, is we can just roll from one into the other, is number two is that CE is necessary. I, I look at this as kind of a, you're going to give us a little bit of a big uh, picture vision, but you know, why does the executive director of C-Themes, you know, it's not your job saying this. It's not job security. You're doing this because you believe it. Why is CE necessary? CE is necessary because EMS is the most rapidly evolving profession in the world. It changes and morphs daily. Practice standards change. Equipment changes. Our abilities um, to perform uh, certain tasks in the field change our abilities to, to analyze and assess and diagnose people change. For example, the advent of ultrasound as, a, as an EMS skill is something that where the technology has driven the profession to a certain point. And in order for us to keep up with the changes, we really need to do continuing education. It's just necessary. and It's part of the job and it's part of the realm that we happen to work in. If you, this, I, and I told you I was going to throw a couple of questions at you um, as we go here. What would the, the director of CAPSI uh, doing CE to maintain your uh, license, 
what's your favorite topic? If you could list a look, there's a whole big list of con ed things on your screen and your and your provider. What do you? What would you love to listen to or watch? Um, I just did my favorite lecture last night for a paramedic original program, and I did an acid base balance lecture. And a lot of people think I'm crazy that how how could you enjoy acid base balance? But it honestly is my my favorite topic. But if you present anything in a in a case based format, uh, for example, if you happen to have access to a simulation lab or a virtual patient or a compilation of you know, video-based cases where you can group things together like simple, non-complicated chest pain. And the second case is a little more uh, severe with a STEMI. And then the third case is a full-blown cardiogenic shock. And and clumping those things together and starting with, here's what we're going to tell you. Here's the signs and symptoms you're going to look for. And then you do a case either in a simulated environment um, or in a video-based environment, and then you move it up. All right, so the next case is this, and this, these are the, the treatment things we're going to add to that patient. And the next one is even more severe, and here are the things that patient needs. So clumping cases together um, in a group that makes sense, that um, provides for a, a, a non-stressful learning environment, I think those are my favorite things. My favorite topic is acid-base. My favorite, my favorite environment is being able to uh, do case-based learning around a series of patient scenarios. I'm not worthy because that acid-based thing uh, is, is my least favorite. So I am very impressed just with that. It took me by surprise as probably most people listening to this. Um, <laughs> I was recently at a presentation, the National Registry did uh, an educator conference and one of the things that they say that they're looking to test more as they work towards phasing out psychomotor exams is judgment and thinking. And I think that that continues into what you're saying is that when you can learn to apply and have some challenging cases and things that, that aren't, the, aren't the, the basics, that I think we, that we benefit from that and we grow, that CE can really help us grow. I agree. All right, that takes us. This is this is flying. I mean, we're going through this really well. CE, this is number three. CE should not be a rehash of what you already know. It should be about sixty to seventy percent new content. Um, and I think that um, there's a lot of people. You know, EMS came from a background of refresher classes. I'm doing air quotes here, where you kind of got taught the same old thing again, and uh, and that's a lot of what we did. Combining that with your prior statement about how things in EMS are changing certainly does leave um, just wide open opportunities for really valuable CE. Yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, in a perfect world, if we and we've all seen patients that we didn't quite understand, I think there isn't an EMS practitioner in the in the world that says they can look at every single patient and know exactly what's going on. And I've certainly seen patients in the last 40 years that uh, I've looked at and said, I'm really not sure what's happening to this person. You get into the ER and you say, doc, what is this? The doctor goes, I don't know. We're going to have to do some tests. So I would, I would really like it if the, if the continuing education program were adaptive enough that if I saw a specific thing that I didn't understand, if I could go back and study that thing, if it was something new, 
For example, what if I had never, ever encountered a patient that suffered both COPD and CHF that now has difficulty breathing? And I have to discern the two. Which is it tonight? Is it the COPD or the CHF? What kind of assessment things do I need to know? What are the clues? And what's the right treatment path for me to go down? Because you could certainly do things for one or the other. It would be harmful if I misdiagnosed. So I think I would like to learn about new things. If I look, if I treat my first LVAD patient and I've never been exposed to an actual LVAD patient and uh, I go see them and I'm really not sure what's going on. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. That's a very, very uncomfortable feeling. And we've all kind of been there. We've all had that patient that, you know, makes us pretty unnerved and get to the hospital and there's a sense of relief and the staff at the hospital takes over. But I'd like it if, man, if we could go back and, and study the things that maybe surprised us or, or go through the things that we're not quite certain on. Or uh, say I've, you know, I haven't ever done a needle crike in my career, and I have, but if I'm that person that's never done it, shouldn't I spend time practicing up or learning about those things that I'm going to really need to know sometime? And it might be one time in my career but when I use it, I really, really need to know it and I need to do it well. So I think the continuing education program shouldn't be about what we already know. It ought to be about those things that we want to really brush up on or about patients we're not quite certain on we want to learn more about. We've been in EMS a similar amount of time. And one thing that you said, I think really rings true, is that many people remember the ones that they didn't get more than the ones they did get or save, right? When we, when we knock it out of the park and know the right med to give, and we choose the right protocol is one thing, but the ones where you have to ask the doc, you go back and have to check and do that uh, in education, we'd call that a teachable moment. But for a motivated, you know, field provider, when you look at a career, whether it be over years or decades, many times we learn the most from the ones we don't know and that should fuel our quest for continuing education. Now, not everything comes with a set number of hours. You can certainly research and do things on your own. But getting CE, uh, not being a rehash of what you know, uh, I think makes uh, a lot of sense. So let's roll into, into number four. And this is where, as I think, really, um, we get into uh, some of the vision uh, for CE. And I, and, I, and I like that. I think people uh, have an interest in, oh, I'm going to keep my license. What am I going to do? What's going to be? And some of this might be in the future, but you say CE should be replaced by continuous learning. That strikes me as a pretty high level kind of statement. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, I think I'll kind of harken back to my days working for emergency medicine at Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. And you know, having the emergency medicine residents come into the sim lab and every week there was a specific topic. And every week you were, you had a brief primer about, so the topic today is this might be pulmonary embolism or some other topic. And here's the signs and symptoms. Here's the things to look for. And then that group goes into the sim lab and they run that case. And then when that case is done, everybody's got it. You go back into the, in, into the, into the, into the lecture area and we'll talk about the next Thing, the next patient that has the same thing but is more complex, something that needs more treatment and more labs and more analysis. And, and then you learn about that and you go back into the sim lab. So I think, I think that instead of 
um, of just kind of rushing at the end of your research cycle to try and get your CE done and doing as much as you can within kind of the framework. I think it would be better if we replace that system with, I don't want to say curriculum, but pretty much a curriculum that says, here are the things over the course of the next year, and here's the schedule, and this is how we're going to lay it out. And and this week we're going to talk about um, pulmonary embolism, and next week we're going to talk about um, stroke or whatever. But I think we can design a continuing education program um, that I think also could be custom-tailored to the extent that I do a lot of, you know, electronic run documentation and whichever company I happen to use for that has a certain record of the types of calls that I've been on. And if I'm really good at STEMI care and I've treated a lot of patients with chest pain and I've done well and haven't had any complaints or issues about my care, that's great. Do I really need to take the cardiac section of the curriculum or should I be able to skip that and maybe replace it with something I haven't seen in a long time? Maybe if I haven't delivered a baby in, in eight years now, maybe I should brush up on that. So I think, I think the continuous learning model with flexibility built into what I've done and what I'm really good at. And this kind of leads a little bit into the continuing competency argument uh, instead of continuing education. I think I would even call it continuous learning instead of continuous competency. And the learning is a directed uh, curriculum based on my call volume and things that I've seen and things that I haven't seen. And let's brush up on things that I haven't seen. I think, excuse me, I'm going to roll into number five because you mentioned technology. And I think that's probably one of the biggest changes. Like I said, you and I have got a similar amount of time um, in EMS and we weren't particularly high tech and the things that are available out there. Um, you know, I had somebody call me and say, do you guys have iStats? <laughs> it's like, no, but you know, the, 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 what we can do and how we can direct care, how we can take our care and make it more seamless within hospital care. And some of these things I think are fascinating, the technology, but you uh, say uh, techno technological advances are making CE evolve. You can now do case studies that cover new content and patient care areas we need to improve. I think we've covered, um, you know, a certain amount of that. But I just think that that technology is, uh, I think, where everyone's going. And uh, I just want to see if you want to throw anything more about that. Yeah, I think, and I don't think we have any choice, uh, Dan. Uh, you know, and I think that we've learned that through covid um, and the restrictions that the hospitals had to place on things like, you know, going to the hospital to do some clinical time for the paramedic program. Or uh, we used to a long, long time ago, if we had somebody that wasn't particularly good at intubation, we could get them into the OR and they could learn intubation with an anesthesiologist and get some practice before they get back out of the field and and so on. And those those days are kind of done. Um, they're not completely done, but boy, they're 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 in trouble. So. I think we, we learned through COVID that we could design virtual cases and virtual formats that if there were a specific type of case, it doesn't ever really replace actually touching a patient, but we could certainly learn about patient management for specific types of cases. And even if you had a person who had a quality improvement issue that needed to brush up on drug doses for asthma or anything, honestly, 
you could set up a series of cases within a virtual environment that are custom tailored to the needs of the individual, to the EMS practitioner, so they could interact with that patient on a regular basis until they really felt confident and could sail through that patient care scenario and then get them ready to get back on the street and touch actual people. So I think technology has given us a great advantage. And unfortunately, it's, it's not quite developed enough where it's uniform. It's not available to everybody yet. And I'm looking forward to the day that it is. Yeah, that's, that certainly is. Now, things have happened in your realm technologically. I don't know how many you know, years it is, but you've created a system where continue, continuing education providers can feed you information now um, electronically, mm-hmm. and then you can transmit it to the National Registry electronically relatively quickly as you say people are always in march looking to get their stuff done at the last minute um but tell us about that and i don't want you to you know spill any big beans or if there is anything else going on um how has that technology changed things for you guys and uh is there anything that you would envision next um yes 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 (laughs) yes your question (laughs) i like it (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we uh, the board of directors of CAPSE, talking with the board of directors of the National Registry, um, devised uh, a plan by which we could share data. And for those people that were nationally registered, um, if their records exist in our database on the courses they've completed within their own continuing education program, that we could build a pretty simple um, data sharing API that the individual would would manage and monitor, and simply they would go into the National Registry, and there's a button within the transcripts part of the registry um, page, and they hit the, and in that section, there's a button that says import CAPSI records, and they hit that button, and anything that they have within the CAPSI database that they've completed moves into the recertification file within the National Registry. Um, and it's dramatically changed the ability of the individual to process recertification. I don't have to create things manually anymore. And I think the last time I had to recertify and I created things manually for my own recertification of the National Registry took me more than 24 hours. I mean, it was a significant amount of time to put all those things in. And I said, there really just has to be a better way. And so talking with the National Registry, we said there is a better way. And uh, let's let's just build it and let's make it free and available. And it is, and it works, and it's great. Um, and I've done it myself, and we have people that call up all the time and say, what's the best way to move my records to the registry? And we tell them, log in, hit that one button, tell us what happens. And they go, oh, all my records are here. This is awesome. And so then the question is, really, does is that a benefit to the you know, individual EMS practitioner? And the answer is very clearly yes. And can we expand it? Can we make it more beneficial to other people? If people that are state license only and say I work in Massachusetts and I don't, I'm not nationally registered, but I've got a state license, could I use that same system or a similar system to move my records either to the registry or the state office that I work under? And the answer is yes, we can build a similar um, means of doing that. And would that help the individual? Yes. Is that something CAPSI wants to do or be willing to do? And the answer to that question is yes. And we're working on it right now. We're working on um, agreements with several states to allow us to transmit records to the state office from our 
database. And the best, the most important part of that is there's no cost to the individual practitioner. We're just going to do it. Wow. That's really a great service, uh, you know, for people. Uh, people often lose track of the vision, the things that people actually do for them behind the scene while they're counting their hours and doing all these things. Um, that's really great stuff uh, going on. Now, we talked about continuing competency. Now, number six says continuing competency and con ed are two different things. And that's something I think we also, in this really great conversation, you know, talked about. Is there anything different that would happen with uh, CAPSI as uh, regard to that? Or are you saying that we want people to maintain continuing competency and that's a subset of Con Ed or Con Ed is a subset of that? Where, what were you saying with number six? Yeah. So I think, I think there's a, there's a line to be drawn between the two and, and being able to show that I'm competent in all things, that I'm a competent practitioner, that uh, my medical director and the state EMS office that I work under or the national registry views me as a competent individual and I'm capable of providing care in all care situations. And the question really is how, how, how do we prove that? What set of things do we go through? Is that skill-based? Is it educational-based? Are there things that um, I do from a practice standpoint and caring for people in the field that prove that I'm competent? And the answer is there's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of all the above. And so um, the ability to complete case studies and case-based scenarios built around a certain patient complaint uh, and using that to show that I'm a competent paramedic or competent EMT, I think is a very, very valuable thing. But there's still, there's got to be a certain level of flexibility within the state that says, I really want my people to know the following things. For example, when I lived in New York, we have a very, very extensive hypothermia protocol. And everybody was very well versed in how to treat people with frozen limbs that were still alive and not yet in ventricular fibrillation. And I moved to Texas and there's no hypothermia protocol here in Texas, not to that extent, you know. So based on the region that you're in and based on the local um processes that are happening, like the advent of bath salts that hit back a few a few years ago, it would take a while for the continuing competency process to catch up with that, to develop enough cases that we could spread in a wide enough format that enough people could take part in it, where a continuing education program, putting together a lecture or a VILT program or a podcast, certainly we can do that much quicker. And if we need to reach the masses on something that's happened that requires acute attention, like like COVID, you know, we needed to ramp up very, very quickly. And I think the continuing education model is more agile than the continuing competency model might be. And I could be proven wrong. Um, and if Mark Terry is listening, Mark, I apologize. And please prove me wrong. <laughs> right. So, but I, I, I think that there are certain levels of things that we can put out through a, a specific continuing education model like we're using now that maybe the continuing competency model won't quite be agile enough. And certainly at this phase, it's still in the, in the phase of we're trying to conceive of what it's going to look like and what all the parameters are going to be. So we're not quite there yet, but I think at some level, the two have to be separate. Well, you know, I think that uh, as in my role 
as an educator of initial courses uh, where I teach at Galveston College, again, here in Texas, and then my CE hat, you know, for liberal education. I, what I've found over time is that I think immature, I think, I think that EMS um, is still growing and is still getting maturity and figuring out who is responsible for what. You know, people that are looking for EMTs and medics now, which is everyone, um, want someone to come out street ready. You know, I, I put out entry level people. I think there's responsibility for employers and agencies and volunteer agencies to help get their people up to the point where they're competent and confident on the street. And then there's maintaining it. And I think that process is something that as a profession, we certainly haven't um, gotten together on it. And I think we struggle with getting somebody out of medic school when you're a department that's paid someone to be there and say, okay, you're crew leader on Saturday, that we struggle uh, going right through that competency uh, and quite frankly, confidence uh, is an issue. I, I don't mean to get into much of a soapbox here, but you know, I, I see what you're saying in that continuing education is something, but maintaining competent providers, even if you defined it simply as the ones you would want to come to your house, that we we do struggle with that as a profession. I think it's really interesting. I'll give you one second. I'll give you a second if you want to respond to that. It's something I, as you can tell, I've struggled with and how we get somebody out of school and competent in the field. Yeah, I think there's a, um, again, it's a bit off topic, but that's, that's okay. That's good. It's healthy. Um, I think that, um, you know, programs struggle a bit with the desire to uh, have a 100% pass rate and we want everybody to pass and everybody to be successful. But I think we've all seen that one or two people in our careers that you wonder, is this person really got what it takes to be a, a competent, um, um, long practicing EMS practitioner? Um, and I think those are the people we kind of worry about and struggle with. And, and does a simple, you know, um, exam of simple practical skills exam at the end of a course define whether or not somebody's competent. And th I think there's a difference between practice competence and emotional competence. And I worry that some people um, now, when I see students that, that you know, w walk into the classroom for the first time and I'm in my basic, my first ever basic EMT class. And one of the first things we have to teach them is how to interact with the human being. Because they're so used to interacting with their phones or technology, sometimes we have to teach them. All right, we're going to practice looking somebody straight in the eye, or shaking their hand, or introducing yourself. And and some people have a hard time with that. So I think there are multiple levels of competence, and proving continuing competence um, is going to be a difficult thing. Uh, not that it's not worthy; it certainly is. And I think that's where the profession needs to go. Um, but I think there are a lot of uh, moving parts and there's a lot of factors that uh, we have to consider before we're you know ready to make that jump well you saw my go slightly off topic and you raised me one i'm very impressed uh bringing in the <laughs> emotional components uh, and the other things i, I think that uh that uh, we certainly have um room to grow in that and uh and make ourselves you know better so this brings us to number seven and this is another potential uh, hot button topic when you bring up uh, college, but you're you're throwing a gauntlet down here and saying 
Number seven, I envision a CE system of the future wherein you gain accredited college-level credits for completing required learning. Imagine gaining the degree everyone thinks you should have by doing your CE hours. Yeehaw. Yeah, you know, that is that is my pie in the sky dream. And I've kind of told myself before, I think I'm ready to ready to retire, which I hope is years off. Um, But before I'm ready to go, I want to see movement towards a process by which taking my continuing education credits gains me college credit. And everybody thinks I should have a bachelor's degree. Well, you know, I. I'd love to have one if I could afford one, if I had the time to do it, which I think are primary constraints for EMS practitioners these days. But wouldn't it be nice if, you know, our our required continuing education programs were centered around a college curriculum. And if I complete that, that guided curriculum that we talked about back, I think it was point number four, continuous learning. And if we guided the continuous learning well enough and some of the accredited providers were, community colleges, we could then potentially design a curriculum by which if I complete my continuing education hours, and it wouldn't all be medical, some of it might be finance, some of it might be education, some of it might be economics, but I think all those things are okay. And the more we learn, the more we learn how to learn, right? So if we had a program that my continuing education hours were part of a broader curriculum and completion of hours over a predefined period of time got me enough college credits that I could gain an associate's degree or I could work towards a bachelor's degree. And I know that's pie in the sky and there's a lot of work to do to get to that point. And there's some people right now that are shaking their heads and saying, Jay is crazy. That's never going to happen. Is it really that far-fetched, Dan? Do you think we're that far off? Or do you think we could put together a curriculum that would get people to the point where continuing education gains them college level credits. For every person that says that'll never happen or my CE is crazy, you know, it's bogus, I'd never get college credit. There's going to be one or two people listening to this saying, wow, we need to make that happen. You know, the, we have the ability to get word out and, and do things like that. Not only if you, I mean, if you think about, things that are required and things that we do. You had mentioned, you know, finance. What about supervision? What mm-hmm. about lifespan development? You're right. What, what about um, infectious disease and, you know, getting more into microbes and the other things that, that what if we gave it the meat? You know, uh, there's a lot of people out there. I'm not going to mention any names or organizations that are saying, you know, we're not ready for a degree yet in, in EMS. Um, but what if we made it easier and easier to do that? Yeah. Um, I, I think my, my, so my answer to your question is, is that for every person or a couple of people that say, yeah, 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 there's going to be somebody listens to this and say, how do we make that happen? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's how, that's how progress happens. If nobody dreams, if nobody stretches, we don't, we don't get to that point. And I think if, I think it says that everything else we talked about earlier today, CE can be valid. It can be, you know, good learning. It can be things that can make you thrive in EMS. So why not take it to the point where we can make it part of an accredited program? Exactly. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm in. And I think that, um, you know, one of the drawbacks and one of the things that people, um, you know, one of the reasons why we have to work so much and I've got to work a second job and I do oodles of overtime and I work a, 
you know, a 4896 shift, but in the middle of my 48 hours off, I grab another 24 hour shift. You're not recovering. You can't, there's no way you're rested enough for your next 48 hour shift. You just can't be, you can't, you can't convince me that it's possible. And part of the problem is we, we, we're not supported by, um, we're, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. We're not supported financially enough as a profession, um, to have the point, to have the ability to just work regular hours and not have to work overtime to make ends meet. Wouldn't it be nice if this program, if we could design a program that gets us college credit and suddenly everybody in the profession were working towards a degree plan, wouldn't that raise the bar? Wouldn't that raise the pay scale? It would have to. And if we did that and people were drawn towards the profession more, there'd be more people available to do care. And uh, I think there'd be greater respect amongst the rest of the medical community. I think it's a step that we have to explore. I think that any profession that feeds and waters itself, that takes care of itself and tries to move forward, gets more respect. Now, you can go out to social media and people say, well, degrees don't earn money and degrees don't do this. But I've been an advocate for them that the... The rounding that it gives, the fact that other healthcare professions who have all gotten farther ahead have all been uh, degree-based. But I, I do totally uh, also agree with you in that we will get more respect simply for the fact that we are, and the way I seem to describe it, is feeding and watering ourselves to make ourselves grow and be better. Yeah, I think that's a Great way to put it. And the greater investment we can make in our personnel, the better the profession is going to be. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think we we collectively as a system across the country uh, and across the world, honestly, have the wherewithal to support the EMS practitioners to the extent that they deserve and expect and, and want and need to support their own families and their own lifestyles. Uh, and I think that we need to do more to take care of them. Um, and if we can raise the bar if we can get them something for the training that they do. Um, and here, you got to do CE, it's mandated, right? Or you've got to prove that you're competent and you're, it's mandated. But what if that mandated training got us something for it? Wouldn't that be better? And I think it has to be. So I like your, your thought about you know, feeding and watering. I think it's a perfect analogy. I am... Um... You know, I, I I do these, and every time I get to talk with someone interesting like you, uh, the conversations go in um, in fascinating directions. And we've gone through our seven things. We say that we don't do a you know a lot of other you know stuff irrelevant. We talk about the weather and calls and stuff. Um, I think that this was just a fascinating finish to this. I'm very grateful. Now, how I end all of these. Uh, and I, I sometimes put people on the spot a little bit. I ask all my guests for a parting shot, right? We have primacy and recency. What do we hear first that we remember? And what do we hear last? What would your thing that you would say about anything we talked about today, anything from your uh, experience or vision as the executive director of CAPSI, what's your parting shot? What's the last thing you want people to hear in their headphones before we end this uh, I think the thing that I believe the most, Dan, would be that there is no more rewarding profession in the world than emergency medical services. And, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, uh, and I continue to do it, and I continue to teach because I love it. 
um, because I think that the people that I work with are, are worth it. Um, and that smile that you put on the face when you walk into a house and you find a truly unstable person that's diaphoretic and cyanotic and really sick. And by the time you get the patient to the hospital and the family sees them again for the first time after you transport them and the patient's now sitting up and their skin is, is dry and the colors come back and they're smiling and they're laughing and they feel better. That, that impression that, that you've made on the, on the family members and on the patient and on the staff of the hospital is worth more than anything else I could ever get. And so Again, I, I think this is a very noble profession. I think it's very rewarding. And even though some of the things that happen are pretty bad and we'd like to forget them, and there are a lot of things that I wish I could forget that I can't, uh, that I never will, but I think there still is no more more rewarding profession in the, in the world. And I'm going to continue to, to devote my time and energies to making it better for the EMS practitioner. You know, I think that, um, that for this um hour of continuing education, I hope what people get from this is that uh, CAPSI is, uh, is a player. It's not a uh, repository that you've got a really um, nice vision uh, and that you're part of a group of national agencies that are looking to move EMS forward. Um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think some of the vision you have is is really outstanding, and I hope that we're able to to share that for a lot of people and challenge them to rise uh, to the vision that you talked about. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, you know, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this, and this has been a great conversation. And I hope you get a chance to talk again about something else. It's like the conversations at the you know everybody everybody goes out for a, for a drink or dinner after the EMS conference and we can solve the problems of the world out there. We had a little we had a little bit of that in here today. And uh, Jay Scott, executive director of uh, CAPSA, I have to say that you've uh, given me some hope and vision for something that a lot of people thought was uh, kind of static. And I look forward to hearing more uh, and seeing more of uh, of what y'all do uh, there at CAPSI. All right, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another Limer Education Continuing Education Podcast. For more podcasts that are relevant to your practice of EMS, limereducation.com slash seven things.